right, we had a historic inaugural in Washington, D.C. earlier this week. And what better person to get a perspective on that event from than our own Washington, D.C. correspondent, Benjamin Jonas. We're happy to be able to say welcome back to Radio Parallax, Benjamin. Thank you, Doug. Good to be here, as always. How are you? I'm, I'm fine, sir. And I, I gather that this was quite a historic occasion, not as many people as four years ago, but yet uh, it sounds like you were pretty packed. It was very packed. I was at the inauguration four years ago also, and I can tell you firsthand that, uh, that there were fewer people here, definitely. Four years ago, it was just shoulder to shoulder. It was a complete crush. This time, there were a lot of people here, no doubt. It was very difficult to navigate the streets. Um, but uh, but it, it wasn't that same that same crush that we had before. You could actually move around, find a good space, and, and actually see what was going on. Well, in the mood four years ago, everybody was so optimistic, and of course, uh, I think that most of us would admit that Obama maybe has not been what all of us hoped he would be. But are people still pretty uh, pretty optimistic? You'd say people are, are very optimistic about uh, the president and his next four years, and. You know, while you said people's expectations, I think, uh, are somewhat tempered or they're maybe uh, not as pleased as they thought they might be at this point uh, four years on, I think people are hopeful that, um, that Mr. Obama at this point doesn't have to worry about getting reelected. And so he may be free to push a little bit harder on some of the issues that they feel are important. Well, it's funny you say that, Benjamin. There's always been uh, that, that issue of when a president's not worried about having to get reelected, that uh, he can do what he wants. But if we look back to to Nixon or, or Reagan or Clinton or even more recently uh, W, that second term, they always seem to run into a bit of trouble. Well, yeah, presidents have to have a, a way of uh, leaving their own legacy and stamp on history, and <laughs> we'll see what the next four years bring for President Obama. Well, there was a very funny cartoon. Uh, I, I'm sorry I don't have it in front of me, so I can't quote it directly, but it was a two-paneler that showed uh, Nick's, uh, that showed Lincoln's inauguration in 1864 where he was talking about with, uh, with malice towards none, uh, with charity towards all. And the second frame has Obama looking over at, uh, at Honest Abe saying, like, yeah, that, that didn't work out for me so well <laughs> as a campaign strategy, as a, as a strategy. Yeah. Well, I guess, I don't know, there's talk, is he going to be tough? The press was reporting that, I don't know if you agree with this, that there was this sense that he was going to play harder ball this time, that he uh, was trying to bring the country together in a way then that he may not be trying to do now. Well, that's certainly the buzz around Washington, D.C., is that he feels he's got to play hard ball now. Uh, he's learned his lesson the first four years, and, um, and uh, he knows that uh, maybe he's got to take a different approach this time. Be a little bit tougher. Well, that's that's what I'm hearing from people. Well, I, I hope that uh, that as things develop or don't in the in the months to come, we need to have you back on. It's been a while, and uh, I, I know that when you live in the nation's capital, there's always things that are kind of rumbling on around you that uh, that that are bound to be interesting. Well, any insight I can provide, uh, <laughs> happy to. Of course, now you know we've got Star Spangled uh, Banner Gate. Uh, people are wondering if uh, Beyonce actually. <laughs> Saying the Star Spangled Banner. God. Occupation. Uh, <laughs> so that's got people's lips buzzing uh, these days. Yes. And, and, and speaking of that, I noticed that the Redskins did not make it into the playoffs, but are, are Washington fans transferring some of their energy to the, uh, the Baltimore Ravens just up the road? Absolutely. Yeah, they're <laughs> a home team, too. They're a home team, too. All right. Well, I guess it's West Coast against East Coast, which people wanted, and the Niners have finally gotten back in after a long, a long drought. So the Harbaugh brothers should make this uh, kind of a national contest. 
Well, I think so. We'll have to wait and see what happens. But we'll be watching carefully. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. Well, Benjamin, I know that last time I was out there visiting, you are a stone's throw from the Capitol building and, and on the Washington Mall there. Did you get a chance to, uh, to hobnob with anybody on any of the, uh, the actual events for the inaugural? Well, I wish I could say that I did hobnob with actual <laughs> glitterati, but uh, I did not. But I did happen to go to the um, inaugural ball. Um, I didn't hobnob with anybody there, but I was there. And uh, okay. it, I have to say, it, it looked real pretty in the pictures and the, the recaps on TV, uh, but the one that I was at, and there were only two official ones, even though they were kind of divided into different sets okay. of uh, you know favored people and less favored people. I was in the less favored people uh, <laughs> column, and uh, I was, the, the, the ball was in a uh, giant uh, cement cavern, in the basement of the Washington Convention Center. Okay. And um, it was a really, really funny scene because, um, you know, it was a bunch of, um, bunch of people moving around in tuxes and gowns in this concrete basement. Uh, they fed everybody pretzels and Cheez-Its. <laughs> You're kidding me. Offered them $10 Wait, drink. wait, 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 wait. <laughs> the presidential inaugural gave pretzels and Cheez-Its? I, I kid you not. Wow! Again, this was this was not the million dollar donor category. Not, apparently okay, not. Was, no, this was sixty dollar tickets, but um, and and volunteers. Well, did did the president and first lady make an appearance? They made an appearance. Okay. There was a stage, and uh, a number of people uh, came across that stage of of uh, celebrity status. Um, you know, a Jamie Fox uh, sang a song for. Mr. Biden and his wife, when they uh, danced, and uh, we saw the current uh, group Fun, which is very popular right now, and Brad Paisley and Stevie Wonder and some people like this. Um, and the president did take a turn with Mrs. Obama, and they uh, danced around the stage at, while um, uh, Jennifer Hudson sang for them. So there, there were a lot of celebrities to be seen on the stage, but the experience was really was not good uh, from an audience perspective. Really? Yeah. So you felt separated, like they're on the stage and, and you're in the audience? A little bit, yeah. I mean, that's absolutely what it was. Mr. <laughs> o uh, President Obama didn't even uh, make any statement. He just walked out, danced, and got out of there. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I would have thought at least one comedian would have been in set up there to like warm up the crowd or something. but uh, No comedians. No comedians, Cheez-Its, and pretzels. I want to say the joke was on me when I saw the pretzels, though. So. <laughs> that was the comedy. <laughs> well, I, I, I'm in a way sorry to hear this, Benjamin. It sounds like it's very exciting and fun to be there with your, your finger on the pulse of what's happening. But, uh, but I think that I'm hoping four years from now you can hang out with the big donors. And maybe, maybe, you, can get, maybe you can get the, the champagne and caviar uh, inaugural. If you can either get me a uh, raise in my pay or gain me some influence... I'll be happy to, to see if I can get a, a better ticket and invite you along with me. You know, I'd be lucky to get you here to the uh, the the packing the packing event to send the Sacramento Kings to Seattle. So I don't know. I got I got no pull. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, well I guess we're destined for these uh, second tier balls. Benjamin, I'm not even getting invited to the fourth tier balls. So that's how far out of out of the loop uh, I am here. So. <laughs> okay. So you're doing you're Good doing enough. better than I am. All right. But uh, always a pleasure. Let's have you back on soon. Very good. I'll be here when you need me. All right. Okay, take care then. All right, we've gone to the east. 
Let's now go to the Southwest, the extreme Southwest. Australian fact. To talk to our Australian correspondent, Pamela Taylor. Pamela, good to have you back. Thank you. Glad to be here. Now, you guys are having a bit of a blow down there, I guess. Some tropical storms. What's going on? Yeah, we are. We had uh, tropical cyclone Peter on one side of the Cape, and because I live in far north Queensland, and on the other side was tropical cyclone Oswald, and everyone thought they were going to cross the Cape and become one giant storm, but thankfully they've both fizzled out on either side, and now we've just sort of three or four days of monsoon rain and about 140 kilometer hour winds apparently. Okay, and for those still using uh, our our English system, that's about what 85, I guess. Yeah, that's about right, yeah. If it was in the Atlantic, if in the Atlantic it'd be a hurricane, but it's in the Pacific, so it's a typhoon. If it's in the Indian, it's a cyclone? I don't know. It's the way that they turn. One turns uh, clockwise and one turns counterclockwise. Of course, because of the Coriolis effect. They should be the same uh, speed categories, though. Yeah, sure. Uh, well, it, it winds up to 140 kilometers an hour, so it's okay. not like if it's blowing that, that all the time. Not sustained, okay. And as I'm looking at the map of Australia over uh, Mr. Villain's head right now, you're referring to that spike, that point of Australia that's aimed right at uh, the middle of New Guinea. Yeah, that's right. So I'm a little bit further south than that, but we're getting it's it's moving southwards as it uh, fizzles out, and we've got it all coming down the Cape. So, yeah, gumboot weather. So what? Uh, yeah, what kind of rains are you getting through there? Oh, uh, some areas are flooded. Yeah, some, some people can't get to work today and things like that. I have to say, though, I've been, I mean, I'm, I'm 32 years old now, and I've been living in a cyclone zone since I was uh, five. And I remember my very first, you know, big cyclone, which was Cyclone Charlie in 1988, so I was eight years old. And uh, it was so exciting. You got the day of school and, you know, all sorts of things. And now when you're a grown-up, you think, oh, am I going to lose the roof to my house? It's not quite as much fun. Well, on my lifetime to-do list and not yet fulfilled is uh, experience a hurricane or tropical storm. So uh, give me the heads up sometimes so I can make my way down to experience one firsthand. The problem with that, though, is that the the airports get closed off. So mm, I think you just don't have to come and hang out here one summer. All right. I'm, I'm for that. As we talked about in the show before, I'm quite fond of where you live down there in Cairns. There's a lot to do, and it's a pretty, pretty cool place. Anyway, Pamela, let's talk about some stuff, uh, interesting thing in the news here, science and technology section of The Economist. I don't know whether this is making waves down in your neck of the woods or not, but uh, there's some new genetic evidence suggesting that about 4,000 years ago, some adventurous Indians went south and wound up in Australia. So have you guys heard much about this? No, we haven't. But what happened to them? All right, to quote from the piece in The Economist, the story of the ascent of man usually casts Australia as the forgotten continent. Both archaeology and the genes of Aboriginal Australians suggest that a mere 15,000 years were required for humanity to spread from its initial toehold outside Africa to the land of Oz. The first Australians thus arrived about 45,000 years ago. After that, it took until 1788 when Captain Arthur Phillips turned up in Sydney Cove with a cargo of near-do-wells. <laughs> I, love the, I love the way they write in The Economist. <laughs> but uh, the new wrinkle here is that uh, between the recent uh, discovery of Australia and, and the original inhabitation back 40,000 years ago, they are estimating that about 4,000 years ago, some Indians from southern India moved south and wound up in Australia where they got assimilated by the Aboriginal population. 
and they're, they're backing this up with some um, some archaeologic evidence and stone tools, and apparently they think the dingo might be involved, which is pretty interesting. That is. So they think that the day they brought the dingo with them. Well, possibly, because they're saying this is complicated by the fact that there's dingoes in New Guinea and elsewhere, which I guess could have, I guess also could have moved with the same population. But yeah, I thought the dingo had been there forever, but uh, but I guess not. That is really fascinating. I'm going to look into that. Well, please check this out, and then we'll bring you back in a couple of weeks, and we can see what people are saying down there. It's not it's not earth shaking, but it but it is it is quite curious. Well, it kind of is a little bit earth shaking because it was only a few months ago that the studies came out saying that the uh, indigenous people of Australia were the oldest, purest DNA. But if they, if their DNA was infiltrated 4,000 years ago, then that's not true anymore either. Well, they're looking, they're looking at Y chromosomes and find, looking at some markers and saying, aha, there's, there's more to this story. So yeah, I mean, obviously this is more complicated than, than they thought until recently. Mm, the more we know, the more we know that we don't know anything. <laughs> Yes, indeed. Let's talk about that science topic. I, I know also we should talk, I think we can talk about this on the air. We've spoken in the past about how, um, how you'd like to, um, to have Daniel Ellsberg uh, do, some, do some things for Occupy and, and I guess for Bradley Manning, who's being imprisoned mm-hmm, for, right. his, um, for his efforts. And we, were, we are going to try and do that, a collaboration between your efforts down there and us up here to, to bring Mr. Ellsberg on the show and also record some, uh, some statements for you. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to that, Pamela. Oh, thank you. That's great. That's like, well, it's not for me, just to clarify. It's for a, a Revolution Truth campaign on behalf of Bradley Manning. And uh, as Daniel Ellsberg identifies himself, he often says, I was Bradley Manning. And if the laws had been uh, as they are now back then, it, that would have been his situation too. Well, the story of Daniel Ellsberg and how he narrowly missed going to prison by a Supreme Court decision, etc., is one that I, I'm hoping we can, uh, we can outline. And, and that that will help round this picture out because it is it is a rather complicated story about about the New York Times, the Nixon administration, their efforts to uh, suppress it, and how how freedom of the press prevailed in that instance. But it was a lot closer decision than I think a lot of people know. Uh, Daniel Ellsberg might well have gone to prison had things gone just a little bit differently. That's right, and, and the world would be a very different place again. <laughs> Just something when you were saying about freedom of the press, I think you'll get a laugh. Uh, obviously, with the, the roads being cut, there are no newspapers today. Oh. And uh, ever, and so I was at, well, you know, they can't get through because they're right. about four hours south. But it's all Murdoch anyway, so I was at the corner store this morning, you know. <laughs> and everyone's saying, oh, good, I'll save my dollar. It's only Murdoch anyway. <laughs> everyone was quite happy to not be able to buy a newspaper today. I just, I hate to repeat the same joke I made before, but it, but it was true when I was visiting Australia back in 1988, I came away making the smart-ass remark, which I continue to do, that as long as there's an Australia, we don't have to, we can relax in America and realize that we don't have the world's worst newspapers. But that was before Murdoch got over here, and so he's done his best right. to equalize things. So what gets me is why people buy it in the first place. I don't buy it, you know, if, if that, it just—it amused me that that was the reaction today at the corner store and probably all over Cairns. Yeah, yeah. But if that's how they feel, why are they buying it? Well, Pamela, my theory is that if you're trying to market a couple things side by side, as one, you're going to be a purveyor of uh, comforting lies versus some disquieting truths. Which do you think is going to sell better? Ah, <laughs> uh, one day it will change. We hope so. All right, I know, I know that you're busy dodging uh, tropical storms on there, but before you go, let's talk about some astronomy. I know that the annular eclipse is coming in, in, in May. What do you know about that? 
Oh, yeah, definitely. It's uh, up at the Cape, so I'm planning on heading up to Bamaga, which is right up the top there. Okay. And uh, no, no cyclones in May at that time of year, obviously. And I've already had some people from France contacting me saying hi, or contacting the Cairns Astronomy Club, which is essentially me, and, uh, and saying, hi, we're coming over for the eclipse. Can you tell us more about it? So I might meet them here in Cairns and take them up to Bamaga with me. Outstanding. Yep, strangers are just friends you haven't met yet. Okay, and I know that a few nights ago I was texting friends of mine saying, go outside now and look at the moon because Jupiter was just passing just a hair above the moon. But down in your neck of the woods, the moon is shifted enough to where if it's the right night, Jupiter's going to pass behind it. So I guess you're gonna, you may be able to catch some of those in the next few months, eh? Oh, definitely. I'll be looking out for it for sure after the cyclone. There is that little matter of clear weather. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> All right, well, Pamela... Uh, fun as always. Let's have you back on soon and, and, and I hope you can stay dry in the midst of all this. Definitely. Take care. You are my good There's calm in your eyes And I'm getting blown away All right, well that about does it for time. This program was produced by Edward McMillan. Our thanks to Pamela Sue Taylor from Australia and Benjamin Jonas from Washington, D.C. Always a pleasure to have them on. In the weeks to come, we're going to have our sports correspondent, Sean Minton, come back to talk Super Bowl. We'll see if we can't uh, chat with some of our fellow KDVSers, Dr. Andy Jones and Mr. Ed Martin, as well as one of my neighbors where I live in Sacramento is going to come across the street to talk about what he knows about archaeology, which is, I think, quite a lot. I'm Douglas Everett. This is Radio Parallax. We'll see you next week.